Today uh, is, of course, the weekend in which we celebrate the life uh, and sacrifice of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. So let me re uh, read a quote just for our inspiration before I pray for you. Dr. King said, hatred paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. As we gaze upon the image of the family and the man, let's take a moment and pray and just give our hearts to the cause which he cast vision for. God, we come to you today in hope of life and yet so often in touch with hatred and destruction. We celebrate the life of the man, Martin Luther King, the cause that he cast vision for. And following his lead, we welcome your presence here today to cleanse us of all hatred, to cleanse us of the effects of hatred upon our own hearts, and to fill us with your holy love. Lord, release it to us that our lives and our life together might shine brightly in a dark world. That only comes about as you fill us by your spirit. So come and do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's our intention as a community of people to not just talk about God's love, but to embody it and to extend it into the world around us, to extend it authentically and to extend it powerfully into the world. The rubric that we use to talk about the kind of person and the kind of community that embodies that love is called the four C's. For those of you who are new, the four C's of vibrant discipleship we speak of as sort of markers of our common life together. Communion being our life with God, our capacity to hear the voice of God, to express our longing to God. Community and contribution, which we put together that speak of our belonging to one another in the way that Tom talked about. And then finally, commission is the C that expresses our commitment to let ourselves be sent out into the world with confidence that every single person, whatever our personality or temperament or gift type, uniquely expresses the power and goodness. We are unique vessels of the love of God. It is a reality and a normality that in the course of a challenging life, those circles get misshapen. And it's possible, especially in a world in which we're so preoccupied with just surviving or learning about viruses and all this kind of stuff, it's possible to lose sight of the sense in which we are sent as good news into the world. And this is a tragic reality for the follower of Christ, because it's sort of like uh, if one of the four chambers of your heart became compromised, if the wall of a heart muscle became thinner and weaker. Well, a person in that circumstance ultimately lacks a kind of vitality, a lack of capacity to exert oneself, to give oneself. That's a bummer if that happens for you as an individual. 
and it's a tragedy for small groups and churches. We look more like country clubs than the sacrificial love of Christ. And so we've begun this year by exploring the scripture in the Gospel of John, opening our hearts to the uniqueness of Christ's love for us, and we're asking ourselves in the midst of it, what does it mean not only for us to receive that love, but to release it into the world around us? What beautiful, good, healing thing might God do if we were strengthened in our sense of commission? So today, uh, John chapter 10, uh, the context for John chapter 10 is John chapter 9, which came before it. It's the story in which Jesus heals a blind man, and then there's a conflict. That happens in the Gospel of John. Jesus doing beautiful things, uh, religious leaders coming in and having a conflict with Jesus about it because he healed this man on the wrong day, on a holy day. It really ultimately is a, it's a power struggle going on. That's the backdrop of this uh, somewhat lengthy story. And since there's a fair amount of reading to do here, I think it might help you track if you paid attention to the different kinds of characters in this story, of which there are numerous. I'll pause periodically to comment on the text. Verse 1, though, says, Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. There's one set of characters. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. So just to bring into focus all of that text, the issue brought into focus by this part of the story is trustworthiness. There is a voice that is trustworthy, the voice of this shepherd. There are voices that are untrustworthy in the world, voices that might lead us astray, the voice of these strangers. Verse 6, Jesus says, it says, the text says, Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus uh, shifting the imagery in verse 7. I am the gate, Jesus says on two occasions. Sort of an impersonal image, Jesus is the gate. But it's an image intended to communicate 
discernment and strength. Jesus, as the gate, stands as a protective barrier, and he offers his sheep here the perfect blend of freedom and boundary. They come in and go out. They're protected, and they're well-fed. And by this perfect blend of freedom and boundary, it says that the sheep are saved. They flourish. Verse 11, Jesus shifts the image one more time. I am the good shepherd, he says. No wonder they're confused. He keeps moving. It's like a kaleidoscope. The pieces fall in a different way. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not really care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let me back up. I'll try to say a few words here, and then I'd like to dedicate the remainder of our time to a prayer practice that we'll do together. In the big picture of things, in these shifting images and characters, Jesus is telling his hearers and he's telling us that we live in a world filled with threats. There are different kinds of threatening characters in this story. They present in levels of menacing character. There are thieves, bandits, and wolves, the most violent of all of the characters. One might have thought listening to them in the ancient world of Rome, of people with swords and spears who make unjust laws. But those aren't the only enemies that exist. There are also strangers who are carrying no weapons. And there is this hired hand. This is mysterious because this looks like a responsible human being. Could be you and me. But even though the characters in this story are of varying levels of sort of menacing darkness, they all lead to the exact same result, the destruction of the sheep. So I wonder if you, in a spare moment, in a quiet moment, could discern the threats that whisper doom to your life. Because I think one of the things that Jesus is implying here is that maturity on the spiritual journey has to do with the way in which we manage the threats of our life. Maturity in the spiritual journey doesn't exclusively have to do with knowledge or theology, although that's important, I think. It has to do with our capacity to manage our lives, which has to do with our capacity to discern what is going on inside of us. What is it that raises our blood pressure? What is it that's keeping you awake at night? Why is it that you are binge watching, getting closer to home? When you turn off Netflix and when you lay down in bed 
and when your eyes open and you can't go to sleep, what voice is whispering to you? And what is it saying to you? How has darkness hooked you? That can be a frightening thing. And there are times at which I would rather just watch Netflix. Who wants to assess voices of darkness in our lives? But this text is telling us that we can go through that process of discernment and we can welcome the presence of God to help us with that because there is a good shepherd. We do live in a world of threats and yet we are not alone in the midst of those threats. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Shepherd, of course, is one of the oldest and most beautiful images in all of the scriptures describing God and his servants. And it exists all over the place, in the Psalms and in the prophets and in the Gospels. And Jesus' followers, it speaks of Jesus and of God himself. It speaks of uh, God's leaders, people with responsibility, team managers, team leaders, parents, uncles, and aunties are all shepherds of some sort. I find it interesting that the descriptor here, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, this is the first time in all the scripture where that title is given to anyone, a good shepherd. It's a beautiful world in the ancient Hebrew, this word good, or tav in the Hebrew. It's a rich word meaning noble and effective, skillful, trustworthy, and even happy. And I want to suggest to you that the goodness of Jesus as a shepherd consists in his attentiveness to us. He fundamentally is a watchful shepherd. His mind isn't off somewhere else. It's on you and on me and on billions of people all around the world. In verse 3, it says that he knows his sheep. He's attentive to who we are. In verse 4, it says he feeds his sheep. He's attentive to our needs. When we are hungry, what we are hungry for, when we are full, when we need to lay down, when we need to sleep. In verses 11 and 16, it says that he protects us. He lays down his life in the midst of the most violent and deceptive of threats. He is attentive to those things that might steal, kill, and destroy. This text is telling us that you and I were created to flourish under the watchful care of a wise and strong shepherd. And that's true about you, whatever you believe, whatever your religious convictions might be. We all need to know that we are seen and recognized in some way. This is the weekend of a lot of football going on. So if you've ever seen a wide receiver go out and run his pattern, if he's free and the quarterback doesn't see him, he's discouraged and doesn't want to run as hard the next time. He gets to feeling like my place in this game does not matter. The child who is not seen by their parents, some of us like Gen X souls, you know, never feel seen by our parents. The child, unseen by their parents, grows up with a kind of perfectionism, a sense of performance orientation that I am not loved until I accomplish something worthy of recognition. 
And the Christian who does not know that they are seen by God, the Christian that does not experience what it's like to be seen and known individually, quickly becomes resentful. And maybe you could recognize that feeling in your own heart at times. Why do I have to read my Bible? Why go to this meeting? Why lead the small group like Tom said? Are my needs seen? That is a critical question because you and I were created to thrive under the attentive love of a good shepherd. Now, this idea of Jesus' attentive love, it's a little bit abstract. And even though uh, if you've been around the church, this text about Jesus being a good shepherd is common to us and uh, it sort of like speaks to us. Yet very few of us have ever been to a sheepfold, you know, and very few of us have ever had a real shepherd. So it's a little bit abstract. It's cross-cultural for us. So I want to offer one more image that's more contemporary to us. We'll show a video of a clip from a movie in a moment, but let me set it up so you understand what's going on. This is a video clip from a movie called CODA. CODA being uh, an acronym for Child of Deaf Adult. CODA was the winner of the 2022 Oscar for Best Motion Picture. It's about a 17-year-old high school student, a young woman named Ruby Rossi, a fictional character. Her parents and older brother are all deaf. So in this family, she's the only one whose hearing and speech are intact. And they have a beautiful, fun sort of family dynamic. But in the midst of that beautiful, loving family dynamic, she's responsible for a lot of stuff. For her entire childhood, she's carried the responsibility of being the interpreter for every single person in her family. Uh, Her father's a fisherman. They can't run their business without her on board, communicating on his behalf. So their survival depends upon her. That works for a while, but anyone who's been around adolescent folks know that life changes in adolescence. She's growing up. She has her own desires, not just to be in the sheepfold, but to go out. Turns out that she loves singing. She has a talent for singing. It's a source of extraordinary joy for her. It's not just an escape. It's a soul-satisfying experience. And her music teacher thinks that she has the talent to go to a high-end music school in uh, Boston to study music. She could become a whole new person, except that she can't leave home because her parents need her. The turning point in the movie comes when she performs at a concert, her high school concert. And her parents are extraordinarily proud. There she is. She's one of a small group of people performing. Her mother's bought her a dress because she's excited about it. They're proud of her. She even sings in a duet because she's one of the best people in the choir. But they can't experience the beauty of what she's expressing. They don't even know what the song is about. They're sitting too far away from her to be able to read the lips. So there is this sad chasm. That painful mix of 
pride and grief is the background for this video clip you'll see. It comes as they're on their way home from that concert and they have this interaction. So enjoy this and I'll make a few comments when I come back. That, my friends, is a portrait of attentive love. And what you saw is a tiny little minuscule fraction of what Jesus meant when he said, I am your good shepherd. I love the way this rugged blue-collar fisherman turns his whole body towards his daughter. When he turns his whole body towards her, he's turning his whole heart and his whole mind towards her, placing his hand on her throat and bidding her sing louder, I want to know what's on your heart. And that connection, which had been a chasm, it moves him. Is spoiler alert. Sorry I have to do this to finish the message, but <laughs> he goes to bed that night thinking, let's send her off to college. We will lose our lives. We will suffer. We will figure out a way, but let's send her out of the sheepfold that she might flourish. This is who she is. I wonder if you could place yourself in the character of young Ruby Rossi and have some sense that God has turned his whole being towards you in the person of Jesus Christ. And all, all of the gospel text is telling us, sing your song louder. I want to feel it. I want to hear it. And then I want you to share it with the whole world. The Christian life is not about the amassing of knowledge or the reading of books, although I like books a lot. It's about taking all that information and then learning how to open our being, to learn how to turn ourselves towards God, to open our hearts and minds that we might experience the fullness, the depth, and the power of that love. So we're going to do that now in this prayer practice. I'm going to sit down kind of as a sign that we're sort of moving into a different space. I invite you to relax, maybe do whatever you need to do to shift out of sort of teaching mode, maybe just shake your hands. Close your eyes and place your hands on your lap. Maybe you'd raise your palms to the sky, that physical posture as maybe directing your inner being that it's your desire to receive the attention of God. Take a couple of breaths. Let yourself become still. We are so hurried in Silicon Valley. Sometimes we're all over the place. It's one of the impediments of receiving from Jesus. We are in too many places. And you could imagine, imagine yourself as a shepherd or as a sheep surrounded by threats. What are the threats of your life that keep you up at night or that make you mad or that frighten you, make you want to medicate? 
Maybe those threats would be other people. They could be inner voices. Or maybe an illness that you don't have a solution to. We are surrounded by all kinds of threats. But let yourself also feel the arms of the shepherd embracing you and holding you close to his heart, the beating heart of Jesus who has named you. There's a meditation that we'll do. I'd invite you just to repeat these phrases after me. Under the, under the watchful care of the good shepherd, may I feel safe. You can just repeat that phrase. May I feel safe from every threat. May I be healthy in my body, but also in my mind and especially in my spirit. May I be happy even in stormy seas to know the consolation of the Holy Spirit. May I live at ease, carried by the coursing power of the river of life that is the presence of God. And if there is one of those phrases that is a greatest need to you, as you come to awareness, just place your hand on your heart as a way of embracing the gift that God has for you. Pressing it in deeply. And maybe in the quiet of your heart, whispering a prayer of gratitude for it, even if it's gratitude in the space of fearful things. But now I'd like you to open your heart, make space in your inner being for someone in your circle of concern that as far as you know lives outside of the assurance of Christ's sacrificial love for them. In this text in John 10, Jesus said, I have other sheep that belong to this fold. I have a larger circle of concern that I want you to represent. And every one of us has some contact with some soul that needs the attention of a good shepherd. Let their face become clear in your mind. And repeat after me these same phrases. I will use the pronoun they, but you could assert their name there. May they be safe. from every threat. And if you know the threat they're living under, you could just feel that and name it. May they be healthy by the power of the Holy Spirit in their bodies 
and in their mind, their mental health, and in their spirits, even if they don't know they have a spirit. May they experience happiness, even if the dominant song of this season for them is sorrow. And may they live at ease, carried by the coursing power of the river of life that is the presence of God. As you dwell in that space, I want to invite the worship team to come. There is in our hearts, as we pray for ourselves and for the world around us, always barriers of unbelief. It'd be good to name those, name our fears and our resistances, and to invite the love of the shepherd to melt our sorrow and unbelief and draw us into the life that he promised us as to be abundant. God, as we worship you today, expand our hearts and minds to receive every good gift that you have for us. We pray these things in the good, powerful, loving name of Jesus. Amen.